Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for giving us the Bible. Please help us now to understand what this passage from Romans says. Help us to understand how it applies to us. And we pray that you'll help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. What about my rights? I've got my rights. It's a, it's a bit of a catch cry of modern Western society, isn't it? I reckon it starts from around about the age of one. We want our toy to be the same as his toy. We want our ice cream to be the same as her ice cream. If it isn't, we will stand up for our rights. It's not fair, we say, as we stamp our feet and cry. And it doesn't change all that much over time. We might get a little bit more subtle about it. Not too many adults use tantrums, although I've experienced a few. But, but it doesn't really change. We know our rights and we'll stand up for them. Well, here in uh, this letter written to the church in Rome in chapter 14, we're dealing with a section which is about what are called matters of freedom. What I mean by that is there are things in the Christian life that you're free to do or free not to do. You've got the right to do it if you want to. You've got the right not to do it if you want to. Now, there are a couple of matters like that in the Roman church that were causing a lot of trouble because people were fighting about their rights. So the problems, the first problem had to do with what food you eat. And many of the Christians who had previously been Jewish felt that they needed to eat kosher as Christians. They needed to follow the, the Old Testament, the Jewish food laws. And in the context of pagan Rome, that meant they should eat only vegetables, like, like Daniel did back in the Old Testament. But other Christians realised the truth. As a Christian, you're free to eat whatever you want. You've got the right to eat anything. You can see that issue. It's raised there in chapter 14 and verse number 2, sentence number 2, right at the beginning of the chapter there, Romans 14.2. It says, One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. See that issue? There was another problem as well, and this time it was about holy days. Some of the Christians in Rome thought that they needed to celebrate holy days. For them, that was the, the Sabbath on Saturdays, the Day of Atonement, and the other Old Testament holy days. But other Christians, they realised we don't have to have holy days as Christians. In Christ, every day is a holy day. Every day is a day to worship God. And that issue you can see in verse 5, Romans 14 and verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. So those were the issues that were there in Rome. And, and theologically, there's a pretty simple answer to these issues. They are matters of freedom. If you're a Christian, you can eat whatever you want. You don't have to have holy days. Paul actually says there it's a sign of weak faith to think that you have to follow all sorts of rules or rituals or ceremonies on these matters. But the thing is, theological correctness is not really the issue. Because... On matters of freedom, you are free. That is, you're not sinning either way. The people on both sides of the debate, neither of them was doing anything wrong. The people who understood their freedom in Christ, they weren't sinning by eating everything, by, by ignoring holy days. They had every right to eat what they wanted, to have no holy days. But then the Christians with all the rules about food and, and, and about holy days, they weren't sinning either. 
There's nothing to say that as a Christian you can't eat kosher, that you, you can't be a vegetarian. There's nothing to say you can't celebrate a holy day, a special day if you want to. They also had every right to do what they were doing. Both sides had the right to act the way they were. And so the big problem wasn't who's theologically correct here. The big problem was the fact that they were having such terrible fights about it all. Everyone was insisting on their rights. Some people were fighting for the right to eat only kosher food and they were judging all the people who wouldn't join them. They're not proper Christians or something. Other people were fighting for their right to eat whatever they wanted and they were looking down on the people who, who did have rules. And so, in, in the passage that we looked at last week in Romans, the first thing that God sets down on these matters of freedom is this. He says we need to accept each other. Stop fighting, stop judging each other, accept each other. It's there in chapter 14 and verse 1. Verse 1 he says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. That's the point of the first 12 verses of Romans 14. On matters where God gives us freedom, we need to give each other freedom. We need to make up our minds what we think is the best thing to do or to eat or whatever, but then we need to accept each other. But now in this next part of the passage, Paul goes on to a second point. And this one, this one applies particularly to Christians who have a very strong faith, to Christians who, who realise that they've got a lot of freedom as Christians. Strong Christians, the Bible says here, need to use their freedom in a godly way. They mustn't exercise their rights in such a way that they damage weaker Christians, in such a way that they put obstacles in their Christian path. So chapter 14 and verse 13. That's the introduction. We finally get to the passage. Chapter 14 and verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. That's summarising the first 12 verses. Now we move on. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Paul goes on to explain what he means. And in verse 14, he sets up a very important principle about weak Christians to show how it's possible to, to damage weak Christians as you exercise your freedom. Here's the principle for a weak Christian. If you do what you think is wrong, then for you it is wrong. If you do what you think is wrong, then for you it is wrong. Even if objectively it's not a wrong thing to do, if you think it's wrong, it's wrong for you. Let me try to illustrate. Imagine I think it's a terrible sin to wear a red shirt. Now, I'm sure you agree with me that objectively it's not a sin to wear a red shirt. But, but I've got a weak faith in that sense. I haven't understood that as a Christian I'm free to wear red shirts. Now, if I think that it's really offensive to God for me to wear a red shirt, and then I wear a red shirt, well, it's wrong, isn't it? I'm deliberately doing what I think God doesn't want me to do. And so I am sinning, not by wearing a red shirt, but by, by rebelling against God, by doing what I think he doesn't want me to do. And so, even though it's not objectively wrong to wear a red shirt, if I think it's wrong, then for me it is wrong. Do you get the principle? In verse 14, Paul applies, this issue to, um, Paul applies this principle to the issue of kosher food. He says, in Christ all food is clean. You can eat what you want. But if you think you can't eat something and then you eat it anyway, that is wrong. If you think it's unclean, then for you it is unclean. Verse 14. 
as one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. That's the principle. If you think it's wrong, if your faith is weak in that sense, then for you it is wrong. Now, this is a very important principle for strong Christians to understand because it's quite possible for strong Christians to exercise their freedom in such a way that they can lead weak Christians into this kind of sin. Go back to the issue of red shirts. Imagine now that I'm a strong Christian. I realise that I'm perfectly free to wear a red shirt. Every time I put on a red shirt, I give thanks to Jesus for the freedom that I have. But I know that my friend Warren has a bit of a thing about red shirts. Maybe it's got something to do with his background. For whatever reason, Warren thinks it's sinful to wear a red shirt. So what should I do? Should I stand up for my rights to wear a red shirt? Should I deliberately wear the reddest shirt that I can possibly find when I'm in front of Warren? Well, the problem is this. As I insist on my freedom to wear red shirts, I could cause Paul Warren all kinds of distress, all kinds of confusion as he goes, I can't understand how a Christian could be wearing this red shirt. I could even influence Warren. I could even influence him to, to, to follow me and to wear a red shirt even though he thinks it's wrong. And remember, that is a sin for him. That could leave him feeling guilty, helpless. Maybe now that I've led him into this rebellion, he'll think rebellion against God is okay and he'll, he'll rebel against God in other ways. I, I could potentially destroy poor Warren's faith. And so my exercise of freedom becomes sinful. By standing on my rights, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm being loveless, destructive. I've let that good thing, if my freedom to wear whatever shirt I want, to become an evil thing. Something that can destroy my brother for whom Christ died. And that's what Paul goes on to say about the issue of food. He says, it might be fine to eat anything, but it is not fine to lovelessly damage weak Christians by insisting on your rights. That turns the good thing of freedom into something people could call an evil thing. Verse 15. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Okay, it's a little complex. So let me summarise. We're dealing with matters of, of freedom. Matters, things like what you eat, what kind of shirt you wear. Objectively, there's no sin involved. As a Christian, you can do whatever you want. But we need to remember the principle. If a Christian thinks it is wrong to do something, then it is wrong for them. To do it is rebellion against God. And so the message is this. If you're a strong Christian, if you realise that you're free to do stuff, you still need to be very careful. You mustn't insist on your freedom in such a way that you could damage weak Christians. You mustn't stand on your rights in such a way that you could lead weak Christians to do what they think is wrong and sin. To stand on your rights like that is selfish and loveless. Well, it sounds like a bit of a sacrifice, don't you think, for strong Christians? Oh, what, now I can't eat what I want? You might say, oh, I love my pork sandwiches. Love to chuck a prawn on the barbie. Now I have to throw all my red shirts away? All because of this person's weak faith. Sounds like a big sacrifice. And so Paul goes on to, to give us a bit of perspective. 
And, and here he, he actually tells us what Christianity is on about. And, and it might surprise you. See, it might feel like a sacrifice to give up our freedom for the sake of weak Christians, but we need to remember that these matters of freedom are not what Christianity is all about. They are trivia. Christianity is not about food and drink. It's, not about, it's certainly not about certain having rituals of food and drink, you know, no meat on Fridays or something like that, but it's not about your freedom to eat whatever you want either. It's got nothing to do with food. Christianity, Christianity is about righteousness. That means you can stand right with God. You can be declared not guilty before God because of Jesus' death. Christianity is about being at peace with God. That is, the war between God and us can be over through the death of Jesus. Christianity is about the joy of knowing that through the death of Jesus, we can be washed clean from everything we have ever done wrong and be with God forever. I don't know if you knew that's what Christianity was about. Maybe you thought it was about rules or about being a good person or about ceremonies or rituals. It's nothing to do with it. Christianity is about really what we saw symbolised tonight in Ben's baptism. It is about the fact that as, as dirty as we are before God, uh, for all of the ways that we haven't loved God the way we should, we can be washed perfectly clean before God and be accepted by God into heaven forever through the death of Jesus. That's what Christianity is on about. And when you see that in perspective, you start to see that you don't want to be fighting about food. Have a look with me at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about food. It's about forever with God, clean. And so the way to serve God isn't to fight about food. It's not to stand up for your rights and insist on your freedom. The way to serve God acceptably in a way that is pleasing to him is to share that great news about Jesus and build people up so they can know the righteousness and peace and joy that can be theirs. There in verse 18, here's what will please God. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. See, once you get it in perspective, it's obvious. You don't want to fight about trivial things like food. We want to help people in their relationship with Jesus. That's what we're on about as Christians. That's why you're invited tonight. Because Ed and M. We want you to know the love of Christ that can wash you clean and make you right with God forever. And so verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Build people up as Christians. Paul then takes us back to food. And he says, keep it in perspective. God's building a church. Don't tear it down by fighting over food. Verse 20. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Then he reminds us again, it might be fine to eat whatever you want, but it's not fine to damage people's Christian faith. So don't stand on your rights. Give them up for the sake of weaker Christians. Halfway through verse 20. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Paul then gives a, a helpful suggestion. He says, look, if you, if you want to exercise your freedom, do it at home. Wear the brightest red shirt that you want at home. Have as many prawns as you want at home. But, but don't do it in front of people who you know can't handle it. Keep it 
Keep your freedom between you and God. Verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. And then Paul finishes by reminding strong Christians that, in fact, it's, it's a great blessing to, to realise your freedom, to, to not condemn yourself by what you eat. Halfway through verse 22. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But we need to remember the principle. Not everyone understands their freedom. Their faith isn't sufficiently developed in that sense. And if they do what they think is wrong, if they act contrary to what they believe, they are sinning. And so verse 23. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you believe it's wrong, it is wrong. Okay, well, let's pull it together. Remember the principle. If someone thinks it is wrong to do something and then they do it anyway, that's a sin for them. And that means even if we know we are free to do something, we still need to be careful. Insisting on our freedom could damage weak Christians. It could lead them to sin by doing what they think is wrong. It's possible to use our freedom in a way that is loveless and selfish and wrong, in a way that is out of all perspective. Because Christianity is not about food. It's not about our rights. It's about being forgiven. It's about being pardoned by God through Jesus forever. And so the point is, don't stand on your rights. Think about what is best for the other person. Think about how you can help them to grow in their love for Jesus. That's the kind of service that's pleasing to God. That's, for those who've been following the series since Romans chapter 12, that's the appropriate way to worship the God who's been so merciful to you. Now, this still isn't the end of what Paul has to say on the question of matters of freedom. There'll be one more week next week on it. But again, we need to pause here and think about how this applies to us today. Last week we saw there are lots and lots of matters of freedom in the Christian life. So what I want to do is just take a couple of them and try to think through how this passage would apply. Let's take the issue of alcohol. Christians are free to drink alcohol. Christians are free to not drink alcohol. But now, put yourself in this situation. You've invited a new Christian over for dinner. You find out that he's a recovering alcoholic. He's managed to get on the wagon since he's become a Christian. He's been going well. He thinks it would be really sinful for him to get back on the drink, and it would be very bad for him, and he's struggling. Now, you love to have a drink with your dinner, especially on the weekends when you're not driving. You've been looking forward to that glass of wine all day. And you know it's your right as a Christian to have a drink with your dinner. So what do you do? Well, this passage tells us, doesn't it? What you do is this. You think hard about what's going to be best for your visitor. Don't stand on your rights. Use your freedom to help him in his relationship with Jesus. In this case, I'd say probably don't serve alcohol, wouldn't you? Now turn it around. I'm a person who never drinks alcohol. So imagine I go over to dinner at the home of a new Christian. He's, uh, it's his first time ever inviting a minister over for dinner. And he's, he's really keen to please. He, he desperately wants to do the right thing. And in his gracious and his eager hospitality, he offers me a beer. What do I do? Should I say, oh, no, I never drink alcohol. I think alcohol is a terrible blight on Australian society. He'd be devastated, wouldn't he? He'd be so embarrassed. 
I've got the right to not drink alcohol, I've got the right to hold my views, but my rights are irrelevant. The question is, what is best for him? What will help him as a Christian? In this case, I think I ought to say thank you very much and drink his beer. Maybe holding my nose or something, don't you? (laughs) You see how it works? We need to go beyond thinking about ourselves and our rights. We need to think about how to use our freedom to build up other people as Christians because that's what Christianity is on about, people being with Jesus forever. One more example. Take the example of Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter are pagan festivals. They've got nothing to do with the Bible. They've been exploited by our materialistic culture and they're thoroughly ungodly. And we are perfectly free as Christians to ignore Christmas and Easter. But there are people out there who would think it's a terrible sin to ignore Christmas and Easter. There are weak Christians out there who almost never go to church except at Christmas and an Easter. So what should we do as a church? I guess we could insist on our freedom. We could work all day with a jackhammer outside the front door of the church on Christmas Day. Uh, we, could, uh, we could put up a big sign out the front of the church saying, no Christmas services here because Christmas is an unbiblical pagan celebration that's exploited by our materialistic culture for ungodly ends. But I suspect that's probably not the best thing to do, don't you? I couldn't care less about Christmas and Easter, especially coming from a Jewish background as I have. But if Christmas and Easter give us a chance to help people to trust in Jesus and know him better, well, we should jump at the chance. And we will. And you're invited. Come to Christmas. We'll tell you all about Jesus again. All right, I'm well out of time. But let me just alert you again to some other issues of freedom. And you might want to think for yourself about how this passage applies. Some Christians think it's sinful to smoke. Some Christians think it's sinful to dance. Some Christians think it's sinful to work or go to the shops on Sundays. Some Christians think it's sinful to eat meat. Some Christians think it's sinful to play cards. Some Christians seem to think it's sinful to have a church camp without playing cards. Some Christians think it's sinful to wear certain kinds of clothes in church. Some Christians think it's sinful to watch M-rated movies. Some Christians think it's sinful to read Harry Potter. Some Christians think it's sinful to eat food that's been offered to an idol. I know that's still an issue for many Asian people. Uh, Like in the Thai restaurant up here where they wave the food to a statue of Buddha. Some people think, oh, I can't touch that now, it's been offered to an idol. The list goes on and on of things that Christians think are sinful. But the way to handle all these situations is is the same. First, remember the principle. If somebody thinks it is sinful to do it, for them it is sinful. And you don't want to be hurting them. And so for us, even if we realise from the Bible that these things are not sinful, we need to be very careful. We're free to do them, but if we do them in a way that distresses people or leads them to sin or hurts them as Christians, we're being loveless and ungodly. And so in these matters of of freedom, we need to forget our rights. We need to forget about insisting on our freedom. Instead, we need to work hard to do what is best to help this person better understand what Jesus has done for them so they can be right with God and clean before God forever. That might mean educating people about their freedom. It might mean sitting down and reading Romans 14. Or it might mean giving up our rights, giving up smoking, giving up dancing, giving up playing cards or wearing thongs in church or or shopping on Sundays or eating in Thai restaurants. It, It might mean we... Enjoy Harry Potter in the privacy of our own home and then don't talk about it in the book review club at church or something like that. The point is, I'm not thinking about me. 
I'm thinking about what is best for the other person. I'm using my freedom to help them trust in Christ. Yes, you've got your rights. Yes, you've got great freedom as a Christian to do all sorts of stuff. But it's not what Christianity is on about. Christianity is on about where people will be forever. If people rely on Jesus, they can have joy and peace with God forever. Without Jesus, well, it's too terrible to contemplate. So don't just think about you and your rights. Think about them and their relationship with Jesus and use your freedom to build people up as Christians. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have given us so much freedom as Christians. Thank you that we have so many ways to be creative in our living our lives for you. Our Father, please help us to understand our freedom and help us to be very careful to keep the main thing the main thing and look after people and help them to trust in Christ and love him and know the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that can be theirs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.